What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Right now on Fast, Walmart gets Wallop, the world's biggest retailer seeing its worst day since 1987 after posting a historic earnings miss. What that says about the strength of the consumer and what it could mean for the markets. Plus a semi-surge, one chip stock getting a big bullish call from Wall Street, and that is helping the rest of the group rebound. Can the sector sustain the rally? We'll look for some answers. And FinTech Babes, one top analyst, says it is time to buy into the beaten down sector. The reason for his call and his top picks coming up. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq Market Site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Karen Feinerman. We start off with two very different tales of the consumer. Retail sales data painting one picture was spending up more than expected in April as demand remained strong despite rising prices. The news helping markets rally. The Nasdaq up more than 2.7% today. A different picture, though, out of Walmart, the stock plunging to its lowest level in over a year after posting its biggest earnings miss since at least 1992. The stock cutting 130 points from the Dow. So which side is giving us the true read on the consumer and what could it mean for the markets? Karen, there are some pretty staggering and un-Walmart-like numbers in this, like the 32 percent inventory overhang that the retailers yeah, see. That 32 percent inventory that in a, I mean, Walmart really shot themselves in the foot and then seemed to like drop the gun and it went off again and shot them in the shin and then the knee. They had a lot going wrong this quarter. That 32 percent inventory, <laughs> I still don't exactly get it. We know they cited some things like landscape and uh, uh, patio furniture that maybe that's expensive inventory. They also talked about gas prices, which, okay, maybe that's so. Then they talked about this odd thing, and I wonder if we'll see it again, about labor and how they expected COVID absenteeism to be much higher than it was, and people came back more quickly, and then they had too many workers, and then through attrition, they, they say they seem to have that under control. All that having been said, the stock should have been down this much, I think. I don't think really? it's so crazy that, yeah, I mean, it's painful. I own some. I have a much bigger position in Target. And when we get a look tomorrow, we'll see. Is this a Walmart problem or is this wider than Walmart? Walmart, though, does have a much bigger grocery business. That's a lower margin business. Hopefully the mix at Target is better. This was very disappointing. They lost a multiple plus, more than one multiple point. They should have. They're at 19 and change times. Should they be? I don't know. I don't know. Do they deserve a, is, that's a premium to the yeah. current market? I'm not sure. I've got to rethink my position here. Wow. Uh, $46 billion in market cap off of Walmart today. Off of Walmart. One fell swoop. That's six Macy's, Tim, to put it into your language. Um, but, but I think Karen makes a good point in terms of the, you know, the ability to contrast the results with Target and to determine whether it's a Walmart-specific problem or if it's, an actually, if it's actually a retail problem. Well, scathing remarks from Karen, and she's probably right. Um, I, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm along Walmart. I, I actually think this was an overreaction. Um, I hate the fact that they've missed, uh, you know, calculated their business as much, especially on the inventory side. Um, I think Walmart during a period like this, uh, 
is expected to navigate these times better. They're a price leader. They can push people around. We talk about this all the time. This was a credibility hit to Walmart on a day uh, when, you know, look, Walmart and Target um, for this market right now, for a judge on the consumer, I almost feel like we're in the middle of big tech earnings because these two companies give you some sense. So where was this number weak? Because the U.S. comps were actually fine. They were slightly better or in line with expectations, plus 3%. The general merchandise was weak. Um, and that may be a read. I'm not trying to impugn anything negative and good for Karen and Target where you've really outperformed. Um, but that might be uh, a bit of a, uh, a negative to look through to Target. But I think with Walmart, this is a case where all of these moving parts, um, this is a company that should be doing better during this. And Doug McMillan was, was somewhat apologetic. He almost got the sense um, and even said, I want to put this quarter behind us, um, even in a quarter where the top line was fine. The bottom line was not. Um, what was also interesting is they don't usually give you you uh, a full year guide until after the second quarter and they kind of gave you that guide they actually said that the first half might be slightly stronger and then bracketed the back half so you're kind of net net where you were but disappointing um, they should do better than this uh, and this was a brutal day for Walmart shareholders I'm tempted to be nibbling back in I don't need to do this tomorrow um, but you have wiped out all of those gains this year they called it an unusual environment on the conference call. I mean, gas prices really spiked up so quickly that they couldn't adjust prices in store uh, to compensate for the, the outlay that they had for, for running their own business guy. But still, I mentioned at the top that this seems like an un-Walmart-like miss because you think of Walmart as being, you know, the best in class or among the best in class in terms of execution. And so you wonder if they're getting a 32% inventory overhang. What are the others doing at this point in this quote-unquote unusual environment? Yeah, execution is the word, and I'm glad you used it because that's what I was going to use. To Tim's point, I mean, they beat on revenue pretty significantly, <laughs> so it's not like the consumer's not spending, so I'm not going to impugn the consumer. What I will impugn, though, is how they operated. I mean, it was just they whiffed pretty much on everything they potentially could have whiffed on. With all that said, Karen's right. Maybe they don't deserve this valuation. I would say I think they do. I'll give them this quarter as a, as a complete miss. And if you look at where the stock traded down to today, this 130 level, this is where we bounced from in March of 2021 and had that huge move to the upside. So traded 44 million shares, about six, seven times normal volume. Might be enough. I know there's a three-day rule that Steve will talk about probably correctly, but I think you could actually take a shot at Walmart at these levels. I think the three-day rule will be particularly interesting given we get target earnings tomorrow morning, Steve. Yeah, and actually I'll, I'll talk about the technicals that Guy just brought up. If you look at the pandemic low and the high that Walmart achieved uh, in recent months, you come up with a 50% retracement. That retracement is 131.88. Let's make it 132. We are close enough to Guy's point to take a stab at this one right now. If you would like to wait a couple of days. You could certainly do that if you want, if you want to play the, the three-day rule. But certainly, I'll start off where you started. Retail sales or Walmart. Retail sales is a leading indicator. Earnings are lagging. So this, and I think everyone kind of touched on this, feels like a kitchen sink quarter to me. It definitely felt like they were throwing everything out there. The colder weather, they couldn't sell anything. Too many people coming back. The uh, barbecues weren't selling. There was a host of issues that they threw out there. And I think if you look at the overhang alone, TJ, TJ Maxx and Ross stores comes up for me. If you're gonna have too much inventory in some of these huge stores, 
then those other stores are going to do a lot better going forward. How do we how do we think about the inventory, though, Karen, when you think about apparel and patio furniture and barbecues and things like that in the environment in which gas prices are still rising or remain elevated. And for the Walmart consumer, gas prices, that they're much bigger dent in their pocketbooks. Right. That to me is the main thing. That'll be the big difference between the target consumer, which is a much uh, higher earner than than the Walmart consumer. Then I don't know what to do about some of this inventory. We were talking about a little bit before the show. Does some of it age not well because it's right. spring or summer inventory? And then the apparel mix, um, you know, they did say that they can still discount apparel and still have improvement in their margins. So maybe they do that. I don't know if that puts pressure on others in the apparel business, like a Kohl's. I'm not really sure. But um, I mean, I don't want I want to give them a chance, but oh my God, this was bad. So you're really considering selling it? I am. It. I just, I, I feel like. Is there a three-day rule on selling it or could you No, you'd want to get in the first, first three days. <laughs> so I missed the huge day one. So I should have sold it by lunch. Right. That was the, uh, that lunch, first day lunch sale. All right. That, I got to write that down for my next miss. <laughs> first day lunch rule. Yeah. Um, Guy, you're, you're talking about the consumer before and you didn't want to impugn the consumer. Do you believe that the consumer consumer is still strong. I mean, are we are we sort of blowing up Walmart's earnings to, you know, try and extrapolate there unjustly so? Should we take the Home Depot quarter instead and say that's the state of the consumer? I think there's some amalgam without question. I mean, it looks the Home Depot quarter I thought was very good. I was surprised by the stock action given the sell off the stock it's seen. That's a different conversation, but I say it all the time, never underestimate the US consumers want to spend. They will spend in just about every environment other than a precipitous stock market decline, which we really haven't had. It's sort of been slow motion to the downside. So if this stock market continues sort of sideways to slightly higher over the next couple of weeks, I think spending is going to be just fine. But I'll tell you, everybody talks about the balance sheets. They may be fine, but credit very quickly has gotten to levels we haven't seen in a long time. That's something to keep in mind. And just one other thing before I give it back to you, Melms. The HYG, which had every reason to go higher today, every single reason imaginable, actually closed lower and flirted with a 52-week low. Just something to Mm. keep in mind. All right, let's get more on Walmart and the state of the consumer with an exec who's had a front row seat to the action. Bill Simon was a Walmart U.S. CEO from 2010 to 2014. He's now on the boards of Darden Restaurants and Haynes Brands. Bill, great to have you with us. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Good, thanks. Um, i got to get to the 32% growth in inventory year on year. How, how does one explain that? I understand that it's a supply chain issues. There are all sorts of unusual things, but 32% is a gigantic number. It's crazy. I mean, that's like 8% would have been high. 15% would have been terrible. 32% is apocalyptic. I mean, that's billions of dollars of inventory. That's just, frankly, just not managed very well. So was this an execution problem mostly in your view? Well, it's hard to say, but, you know, it would seem to be if, if, if you take the 32 percent inventory in conjunction with the hundred million dollar over budget that they reported in markdowns on their on their hardline business. I, I mean, they had an even worse problem. So they they solved for some of it. Uh, I think maybe they were ordering to try to stay ahead of the supply chain issues. And then the product came in and it came in late and they didn't they didn't cut the orders in time. I mean, there was a lot of things that could have should have would have been done that, that just frankly weren't. Thanks for being on, especially today. Uh, Let me ask you, back to this gigantic number, do you think this is going to weigh for several quarters 
on their gross margin, having to potentially mark down this inventory? Uh, you know, it could likely because uh, most of the inventory overage has to be in the hard lines business, which is p potentially seasonal apparel and, and spring patio, they said, was slow getting out. Um, it's going to be difficult to try to cycle through that in time. Uh, they may be able to get through some of the apparel. It's still plenty of warm weather left. Uh, the patio usually sells in the spring and then it doesn't sell for the rest of the year. So it's going to be t difficult. They'll, they'll probably get through it by the fall, uh, but, but it'll be hard to digest. So if you're looking for a deal on patio furniture, maybe now is the time. Um, Bill, I want to talk about gas prices and the impact of the consumer. How, how big of a question mark, in your view, um, is there on the strength of the consumer, given gas prices are remaining elevated? I mean, we're above, what, $4 a gallon on average in every state in the United States today. Well, there's a lot of contradictory information. Typically, gas prices in, in the Walmart customer world is one of the most difficult things for them to absorb, and it, it impacts their their purchase habits and their decisions. We saw that a little bit in their food business. The food business was up, uh, I think, low, low double digits um, and, uh, as customers traded out of uh, wants and into needs. Um, now, on the, on the positive side, I mean, I think that the, the, the broader retail data for today, along with Home Depot, which, by the way, did a really good job managing their inventory and managing their margin, selling pretty much the same stuff that Walmart said they couldn't sell, which is another head scratcher. Um, you know, I think bodes actually quite well for the consumer. The consumer has really kind of done a, a remarkable job uh, wor working their way through these gas prices and inflationary pressures. Uh, and I think that's because employment has remained high and wages are, are growing, maybe not as, as quickly as inflation, but growing enough to keep the consumer above water. Hey, Bill, it's Tim. It's great to have your expertise on the desk tonight. Let's transition into their digital business, which has had been an exciting part of the story for me. Uh, E-commerce up only 1%, very difficult comps. Uh, their digital ad business, though, you know, growing at 30%. I mean, this is a pretty impressive part uh, of the story. Can you lend some insight into you know, how, how compelling this part of the business is? Well, I think it's something that they felt like they had to get going because it, their, their competitor on the digital side, Amazon, was you know, has been really quite good at that, along with other revenue streams online that they didn't have. Uh, I think that's probably where some of their margin went away. The shipping costs um, and the picking costs because of labor uh, probably tore into their business. One percent growth is not really very good, although their stack was pretty good. Um, it's just a little bit odd to see that along with Amazon, who I think had single digit growth uh, and, and sort of seeing mm -hmm. a shift back to physical retail right now, which has been quite interesting to watch. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to see you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you. Bill Simon. Uh, Guy, the inventory will weigh, according to Bill, and he should know, for a few quarters, quite a few quarters. What do we do with Walmart the stock? Uh, my, my sense is it'll be longer than that. I think Bill was being nice. I think you can buy it here for a trade. To Steve's point, these are interesting levels. Again, this is where we bounce from March of 2021. I would understand why you'd want to wait and see. I will tell you, and I'm sure he would never admit this, but I am quite certain that Doug McMillan is going to be up at night praying that Target has a similar quarter because then at least you know everybody's in sort of the foxhole together. But if Target pulls something off tomorrow, by the way, which I think they will operationally, I think that makes this Walmart quarter look even worse. So... I think the prudent thing to do is probably wait and see what Target says and then go from there. Bill made a great point in terms of Home Depot selling the same kind of <laughs> stuff, but doing well.
by selling it, Steve. So there's already a contract. I mean, it's already in the hole by one. Um, so what are we going to look yeah, for in Target? I don't, I, don't think, I don't think you take out a second mortgage, though, to, to go buy stuff at, at, at Walmart. But you could take a home equity loan and buy stuff at Home Depot. So I don't necessarily think that's an apples to apples comparison. I think that you had one of probably the last uh, good quarters at Home Depot and you could be buying this dip in, in Walmart if you want to look at it that way. All right. Coming up is the bottom in for fintech. That is the word from a top tech analyst who says the group is way oversold. He'll join us next to break down his call. Plus a chip rip shares of AMD surging after a bullish analyst called the huge upside they see for the name. The details next. Do not go anywhere. Fast Money's back into. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. AMD topping the tape today after Piper Sandler upgraded the semi stock to overweight, increased price target to 140. That is more than 35% upside from here. The firm saying to, quote, buy good companies when they're down. Stock is down 37% from its peak. So is this an opportunity, Guy? Well, I never thought it would get down to 85. I mean, the stock got cut in half from its all-time high seemingly just a few months ago. But actually, you can make a pretty compelling case for AMD here on valuation. And I agree with this one. I didn't think it was going to get down to 85. Here we are at 105. I think it trades to that 130 level. Again, for the first time in a while, valuation is actually somewhat compelling. And the space seems to have their tailwind back. So, yes, I agree on this one. Uh, Tim, do you extrapolate this call to other chips? Well, I think you do. I think you know they, they're clearly excited by, and you should be excited by AMD's uh, server, you know, client CPU. You know, those businesses, their semi-custom business. I mean, they they're cruising. I think a lot of concern around PC weakness has has been priced in, and may or may not come through. But um, they're still guiding for sixty percent growth at AMD. So uh, when I look at semis more broadly, um, they're all you know, they don't all have the same business. What they do have in most cases is very profitable cash flow. Generating businesses at a time when I think the market's putting those types of uh, stories under the microscope and, and ultimately rewarding them and certainly uh, destroying those that don't have it. So AMD, as we all said, pulled back 49%, has actually rallied 23% off of those lows. So, you know, you've already had a pretty good jump higher, but still down almost 35% from those highs. Steve? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I've been consistent on this. I, I feel like the same thing that we saw with inventories with Walmart, we're going to start seeing with chips, if you, if you can make that analogy, because you're going to go from a deficit to a glut in chips. But if you want to compare apples to apples, 
Micron's chart looks exactly like AMD's. So if you're bullish on AMD, you get bullish on Micron. I agree with Guy and Tim. I think you could, you could have a trade here because people got so lopsided thinking this was going to be a cataclysmic sell-off and maybe to some it already has been. And they're just trying to play these beta moves and the semiconductors are in bullseye of this beta move higher if the market continues. All right. Well, you know who else thinks AMD is a buy? Kramer does. You can have his stock recommendations delivered right to your inbox at CNBC, the investing club. Sign up now at CNBC.com slash join the club or by using the QR code on your screen. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Has FinTech found a floor? A top tech analyst making his case. Why you should buy now and gain later. Plus, put your rally caps on. We're gearing up for a fast pitch. The real estate stock our next guest says is a heater for your portfolio. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. We have lots of different types of investors on the platform. So first timers, uh, obviously, is, is what we've been talking about. But we have lots of advanced investors as well. So customers coming to Robinhood for our competitive crypto offerings, customers that actively trade options. And you know, during this time, um, I think it's a great opportunity for us to get closer to their needs, understand them, and, and build great products for them. That was Robin Hood CEO Vlad Tenev telling CNBC's Kate Rooney who and what he is seeing lately on his company's trading platform. Robin has gotten absolutely bludgeoned this year, but our next guest says that the bottom may be in for fintech more broadly, and the space is setting up to outperform the broader tech space in the second half of the year. Mizuho Security Senior Tech Analyst Dan Dolev joined us now to dive into his latest call. Dan, great to have you with us. Um, obviously, sentiment has really basically gone down to the basement at this point. I was going to say down to the floor, but you know, when it comes to the space, down to the basement. So I'm wondering, you know, that seems to be a major reason why you think that there's upside for the group, that there has yeah, been a re-rating. Exactly. And and thanks again for, for having me on your show. It's always great to be here. I, I look, we've done you know real work, rigorous work. We've actually analyzed almost fifty 
payment stocks and you know nearly you know 450 tech stocks and what you're seeing is that they closely correlate the stocks closely correlate with the growth i mean the three-year stack i.e excluding covid it's almost like a hundred percent correlation what you're seeing now is that analyst expectations for the next four quarters are actually very modest they're talking about a deceleration in growth you know you would ask me then why do you think it's great it's great because it can only go one way which means it can only go up. So it prices in, the stocks are actually pricing in a pretty severe deceleration. And if things don't deteriorate dramatically, you should see those analyst expectations go up. And that would be a boon for a lot of these fintech stocks that we cover. Dan, does it matter what the environment is in and whether or not these fintech stocks have ever operated in an environment like this in which interest rates are going higher, there are great inflationary pressures on the consumer, et cetera? Or does that not matter in your model? Well, it, you know, everything, the macro always matters. Um, if you think about some of the more, you know, newer names like SoFi, for example, or, or Affirm, there was a great, you know, great deal of, you know, controversy and fear heading into the quarter, you know, following the upstart earning, for example. And the, you know, the most interesting surprise was that actually everything was fine, right? They, they were beating, they were raising, uh, they were making money in the case of Affirm, which everybody thought, you know, couldn't happen. Uh, the delinquencies are you know, not growing. The high quality borrowers are stabilizing. So I think that there's a, a lot of fear out there, but the reality is that these business models are more stable than a lot of people give them credit for. Dan, it's Karen, thanks for being on. Let me ask you about credit quality. So in your model, you must have some scenarios where credit quality gets worse. And so how much downside do you think you know, an Affirm or a SoFi might have in a worsening but not cataclysmic um, credit scenario? So I think this is a great question, Karen. I mean, look, this, I think that, that it, right now, given, you know, we, we live this space, right? We talk to investors all day long, right? Um, and I'm sure you know the same people that we talk to. And, and I think right now, we're at that epicenter moment where it basically prices in, I wouldn't say a disaster, but something close to a disaster. So I think the downside kind of in our bull bear scenario, we're kind of very close to that bear moment, which means that there's more upside than, than downside. So the downside, it doesn't get much worse from a sentiment perspective. I mean, this is from our broad conversations. Again, I'm looking at sentiment versus reality. Of course, things could deteriorate down the road. I can't predict the macro. Um, you know, I checked my, my crystal ball today and it, the, the battery ran out. So I have no idea, you know, what actually is gonna happen. But um, so far, the evidence shows that things are pretty stable despite the fear. You should try plugging it in, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> in terms, I mean, when you say, you know, that there's a lot more downside, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, at what point do you get concerned about credit quality? Because we've been operating in an environment where consumers have no excuse to have bad credit. They've been getting free money um, from the government. They've been getting free money in the form of interest rates. They have no excuse to have bad credit. And so I would imagine that there's sort of an, inf an inflation in credit scores and so when you start taking that away, that the downside could be much greater than we think. And, and again, I want to point you to, let me give you some real numbers, which I thought was fascinating. In the case of a firm, buy now, pay later, it's kind of the, you know, this should be the focal point of credit issues, right? Kind of borrowing without FICO. In their measure of credit, every quarter until this quarter, the percent of borrowers on the highest kind of quality borrowers came down, i.e. they were getting worse. In this quarter, it actually leveled out. It's actually, it actually not gotten worse, 
So I know there is you know, a lot of fear, uh, but the evidence shows that you know, the business model isn't necessarily you know, getting into that adverse selection of you know, worsening, deteriorating credit quality. Um, what would the future look like? I don't know, but so far, very stable and very strong. Dan, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Dan Dolov of Mizuho. See Grasso, you like any of these names? Uh, yes. I mean, if you look at a fir- if you're talking about a bounce off the bottom where, where people have overestimated the downside, a firm is down 75% year to date and 28% for the month. That's way uh, out- outperformed in a bad way, uh, both SoFi and Robinhood. So if you want to um, t- you know, throw something at the wall, I would say take a look at a firm here. But I-, I don't know if in his model, and you and Karen were getting at this, priced in recession? And is it a, a, a hard landing? I, don't, I, I didn't get that from me. We were talking about credit quality, but I, I didn't get that, that exact answer from him. Yeah. Guy, what do you think about the, you know, the notion that some of these companies never operated in an environment like that? Does that matter? You know, there. No, I mean, I, I hear, I understand that, but there are a lot of things that people haven't operated. And listen, last 13 years, for a lot of people, nobody's seen markets uh, like we're seeing now, based on a Fed pivot. So, I mean, a lot of people are dealing with situations that we haven't seen before. So, I'm not looking to give anybody a free pass. I'll say this: PayPal traded down pretty much to those March 2020 lows. And it's subsequently bouncing here. I think for a trade, PayPal looks interesting. But that's coming from somebody that thought PayPal would stop going down probably 35, 40 percent ago. But at these levels, it might be interesting, especially given that they reported at the end of April, guided lower. All the bad news seems to be in. So PayPal for a trade. All right. Elsewhere in the financial space, check out Citigroup surging after news Berkshire Hathaway has taken a $3 billion stake in the company. The stock's seeing its best day since November 2020, and options traders are betting this is just the start of even bigger gains. Mike, how is the action? Mike? Yeah, so we saw more than two times the average daily call volume. It traded well over 140,000 contracts, usually trades closer to 57,000 contracts. And the most active calls were the June 50s. We saw a substantial number of those trading for just under $2.80 a contract. Buyers of those calls obviously betting that it's going to end up above that $50 strike at June expiration. That would put the stock at or above the highs that we saw in mid-April. Yeah. Tim, what did you uh, make of this buy? I th- look, I, I think interesting. I, I have to say that I think banks have been overly beaten here. I think money center banks have clearly underperformed here on this bounce in, the, in markets. Uh, I saw that the Texas capital guys, regional banks, uh, rang the Nasdaq bell. If you look at the underperformance of regionals over money centers, I think that's overdone too, especially in regions like Texas where you have enormous growth. So I think KRE over KBW. Uh, I do think money center banks actually look interesting here. Again, in the environment where people are reassessing and saying credit's not going down overnight. Uh, we've priced in a lot of bad credit here. Mike, thank you. Mike Coe for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, some hiring halts to hitting the tech world. So is this a sign of a big, of bigger trouble for the industry? We've got the details ahead. And our fast pitch is on deck. This beaten up real estate name, our next guest says, is a change up for your portfolio. He'll make his case next. Fast Money's back right after this. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Warehouse Re Prologis down 25% year to date. But our next guest says the name can bounce back. Malcolm Etheridge of CIC Wealth is stepping up to the mound to give us a fast pitch. So, Malcolm, in this environment, this inflationary environment, you say this is a good hedge. Why? Yeah, I uh, I heard you mention that it's been beat down quite a bit um, uh, going into the into the break. But for anybody who's in the real estate space, having the type of uh, pricing power that Prologis has right now is a dream, right? So for mall re- REITs and probably uh, office space REITs, now's not a great time to be in the space. But for somebody who's in the warehouse and distribution and log- logistics space like Prologis is, it's a dream. They're they're doing everything they can to keep from committing to long-term leases at this point with the tenants that they're signing today. So explain to me how the contracts are different for, let's say, a mall REIT and and a REIT like Prologis in terms of the length and the type of customer. Is for some reason this customer, I mean, do they have longer contracts so it's harder to get out of them? Well, normally in a in a uh, commercial lease, you're going to go somewhere 10, 20 years even down the road on some of these leases, and they're going to build in what inflation, an average inflationary target for that entire 10 or 20 year period into that contract. And so you're kind of capped on how much you can expect to receive each year in addition from those tenants. But now Prologis is offering something like five year on average uh, leases, and people are taking them. Um, simply because warehouse and distribution space is so hard to come by. And so they have pricing power right now simply because the supply chain, you know, it's still broken. Those same air, freight and sea uh, shipping issues that companies like, I don't know, Dick's Sporting Goods, Home Depot, Amazon, those are all customers of Prologis. They're still having those exact same shipping problems they were having, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic for the most part. And so it's just a, a, a seller's market, I guess, in this case, or a landlord's market, as far as Prologis is concerned. Hey, it's Karen. Thanks for coming on. Let me ask you about uh, Amazon has talked about maybe a little bit of indigestion in the distribution center. And I wonder how does that affect Prologis? Do you see it as a blip or what, how do you think about that? Yeah, so Amazon, I think, is is guilty of overbuilding. And it's a little bit of a an outlier, I would say, in the sense that Amazon had the ability to go out and build their own fulfillment centers in addition to leasing spaces from someone like a prologist who also is going out and building them and then uh, finding a tenant to, to take them up on. So prologist is going out and building on spec. Amazon also went out and built their own fulfillment centers somewhat on spec. I know they're very heavy on data, so they probably had some very good indication of you know where the pressure points were. But I think Amazon is a, a bit of an outlier because they just got a little bit too uh, too far out over their skis trying to scale up to the demand that, you know, we now know was very temporary. Steve Grass has got a question, Steve. So, uh, Malcolm, it sounds like the supply chain issues that we're dealing with right now are, are a big part of the tailwind or the bull thesis on your part. If that frees up, do you lose your bull thesis? Uh, we probably would, but the challenge to that is that uh, a note that came out from Bank of America early in this year estimated that it would take something like a trillion dollars spent over the course of about five years for retailers to re-onshore the uh, the first half, you know, the first half of the the supply chain that gets built in China right now, China and other places, but primarily China. It's very unlikely that in a down market like we're having, we're talking about recessionary times now, we're talking about cutbacks and layoffs and everything else. It's very unlikely to see those kind of capital expenditures 
from those same companies I just mentioned, your Dick Sporting Goods, Home Depot and the like, who are going to now go and build the facilities necessary to bring those items on on shore to not have to have the type of logistical nightmares and the fights over shipping containers and all those kind of things that they're currently experiencing. Malcolm, thanks for coming on the show. Malcolm Etheridge, CIC. It is time for us here to vote. So are you buying Malcolm's pitch on Prologis? Guy Adami, you have your whiteboard already? Yeah, well, I do. And can you read my smart board, please, okay, there, Melms? Where is Tim's smartphone? Is that what it is? It's fading. You need a smart new marker. Board. Where is oh, Tim's smart, smart board? board? No, I'll just tell you, because I know Tim wasn't paying attention. I'm just calling him out right now. I brought mine with me. I'll say this. They reported a really strong quarter, April 19th, I think. Jim Cramer had the CEO on the next day. $18 billion of liquidity on the balance sheet. The stock has sold off from that double top. I like this power pitch. So you're a buyer. Uh, Tim, do you have a smart board? Uh, hey, Chief, I got a surprise for you. Look what I found oh. in my closet. Oh. Um, and in fact, it's, it's my smart board and it says I'm, I'm begging you because guy was begging me on the call to find my smart board. And nice job, Malcolm. Very, very thoughtful pitch. Um, I, I think some of the issues we talked about Amazon, also the attempt at buying Duke, uh, the Duke read is I think tactically you have a buy opportunity here. I'm not sure you want to hold this one forever, uh, but I think the stock's beaten up. All right. Two buys so far. Steve, what do you say? Yeah, technically, I, I'm going to go with a buy as well. Technically, Uh-oh. it's right at that October 2021 level, which it, which is, uh, I, it's got to hold $120. But he did leave my concerns that if the supply chain does free up, he still has uh, some time here on his bu- bullish thesis. All right, Karen, what do you say? I, I went with a pass, and it wasn't it wasn't really so much about the, for me. I'm not a trader, and it seems like an interesting trading vehicle here, so I went with the pass. I wouldn't short it for sure. All right, three of the guys here, though, say to buy. Um, but now it's your turn to vote. Are you buying Malcolm's fast pitch on Prologis? Head on over to CNBC Fast Money on Twitter to vote. We will bring you the results later on in the show. Coming up, a hiring halt. Several tech companies announcing layoffs or hiring freezes. So what does that say for the state of the job market? The traders are breaking that down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Netflix's subscriber loss leading to job cuts at the streaming giant. The company today announcing it cut about 150 staffers. And it's not the only tech company making changes. Coinbase also saying it would slow hiring reevaluate its headcount. Robinhood, Carvana, of course, also announced job cuts in recent weeks. So could this be a sign of a cooling job market or at least within the tech sector? And, and how do you think about that impacting? You know, we were talking about the consumer at the top of the show. Guy, once upon a time, not that long ago, if you said that you worked at Netflix, that'd be a great thing. And all of a sudden there's a question mark over that. We, anecdotally, I don't think this is a good thing at all, obviously. And one has to wonder, if you can't pass on the cost, what's the next thing you're going to do? You're going to start to see layoffs. What happened with layoffs? Things start to slow down. And this is something that Steve has talked about for a while. I mean, almost seems as if a slowdown has now become inevitable. It just comes down to, has the stock market priced it in? I think that's what I'm, I've been struggling with. I thought, and I think, Everything we're seeing now, there was an inevitability to it without question. Now we're seeing it front and center. One has to wonder though, what it means for the stock market. By the way, I, stu- I still think there's another leg lower here. And we got that 4 or 5% bounce we talked about 
after Thursday's close. So here we are at a level where I think you should start selling things again. Yeah, I mean, have we priced it? I mean, we also, we know about the publicly traded companies, VC firms, so firms that are still in the private sector, they're getting small. They're halting growth, right? They're reevaluating themselves because what is happening in the public market imputes on their valuations in the private market as well, Steve. So there's a whole other ripple effect that we're not necessarily seeing in the public markets. Yeah, you know, I had the I had my price target in the S and P to thirty eight hundred, and that was you know, a reevaluation. I, I agree with Guy. I don't think we're we're done by a long shot. But when you look at Netflix down sixty eight percent, or Coinbase down down seventy two percent, if you don't start laying off people, your shareholders are going to revolt. They've already revolted. You have to do something, and that's what we're seeing right now. So I don't think it's over yet. I'm tempted to take a stab short term as a trader, but I think the market has to revisit some lows that we've recently seen. I agree with Steve. I think that not just not just your shareholders, but other employees, I think, are going to have to work harder. It was kind of, the, you know, they were living off the fat of the land for a while. And if you're in a business that has growth at all costs as your business model, which many of them are, that's not going to cut it anymore because the market won't allow it. So I think this is the beginning of what will be a lot more. Tim? Uh, look, uh, the, a lot of the companies you just mentioned, people are paid in stock. Um, so a lot of, think about the incentive that a lot of these people had to work at some of these places. Think about right. high water marks. Think about how also they're going to revalue these shares. And, and, and think about the monopoly money that a lot of these companies, look at Carvana, I mean, what they were playing with and their inability to go back to market. So um, cutting costs, you know, for a company that's going to lose seven bucks a share, they have to do that. Um, but again, in terms of morale and in terms of their ability to attract new employees and in terms of those people that are way underwater on stock options, uh, this is, this is a, a reality. Coming up, we've got metal on the mind, copper, uranium, and other resources rallying. So will this trade go to 11? The traders are tapping into this one next, and there's still time to vote on Malcolm Etheridge's fast pitch. Are you buying Prologis? Head on over to Twitter at CNBC Fast Money to cast your vote. Much more fast in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. The resource trade heating up today. Copper hitting its highest level since May 6 on news that China plans to ease its COVID lockdowns. That's fueling hopes for a revival in demand there. The move in copper helping boost the XME metals and mining ETF for a third straight day. Freeport McMoran Alcoa leading the charge. Um, Guy, you flag this one. Well, I mean, finally, but I mean, you look at FCX, I mean, it's gotten bludgeoned from, I think, that 52 level down to 37. But we've seen moves like this before in these names, and Tim points it out a lot. You just got to have, you got to basically have stick to and stay with these names, because I think the fundamental story is still intact. And if China were to ever sort of uh, pull back the reins a bit and sort of allow things to get back to normal, I think these stocks go back to levels we saw a few months ago. So as difficult it is to own these things, I get it. I think you want to stay with it. I don't think the trade is over. I mean, if China is a linchpin to this trade, Tim, I mean, what, what the JD.com CEO said on the conference call, I thought was really interesting, saying effectively that the lockdowns this time around are more severe because of the major cities that they cover as opposed to two years ago when they covered yeah. sort of the smaller, more rural areas. 
So as it relates to China, think about iron ore demand, think about steel demand, think about too much Chinese steel being produced, no reduction in production. Um, so exports and more steel flooding, uh, which gets you to the place where I think not all commodities are created equal now, whereas I think they were trading as a group. Uh, I'm less constructive on steel. I'm less constructive on iron ore. Uh, I think copper and aluminum fundamentals are excellent. Uh, I think aluminum was way oversold. I think there's probably uh, a shortage of aluminum out there and alumina. Uh, and I think on copper, again, I think there are supplies uh, that I, I think are constrained. So China is the largest consumer of commodities historically. Um, and I do think that their weakness is going to hurt certain parts of the subsectors more than others, specifically steel and iron ore. Yeah. Steve Grasso, where are you on the trade? Yeah, I, I think this is just an oversold bounce. To Guy's point, Freeport was at 52. It went down to 37. Uh, Alcoa was at 95. It, it traded down to 60. So I think you're just getting a bounce here. And I think uh, you probably sell any strength in the, in the resource trade. All right. Coming up, there are just a few more minutes left to vote for Malcolm Etheridge's Fast Pitch on Prologis. Are you buying this one? Head on over to Twitter at Fast Money to vote. We got the results and your final trades right after this. Key earnings to watch before the bell tomorrow. Target, especially after Walmart's uh, down 11% day on the back of its earnings. So, Karen, what are you looking for specifically? So, uh, I think the street is looking for 306 in earnings and 24.33 or so in uh, revenue. But it's going to be, to me, it's all about the margin. What is the mix Right. Or do they have a much better blend? I think they will because they have less grocery. Mm -hmm. They don't have gas like Walmart. And so are they selling apparel and home goods and things like that? That'll be really interesting. And then I wouldn't have focused on it so much, but inventory. Right. I, hopefully that's just a unremarkable, uneventful number. Right. And inventory. If, it, if it is unevent, uneventful, uneventful at Target. Yeah. Then you think you'd be out of Walmart? I might. I got to sell some, I think. Yeah. I mean, Bill Simon, the former Walmart U.S. CEO, called it apocalyptic earlier in the show, Tim. Apocalyptic is not a word that you just bandy about lightly. No, uh, apocalypse now, apparently. Um, I, 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 you know, he's a man we should be listening to. Uh, I think they can navigate through this. This is the biggest retailer in the world. Uh, I think it's going to be fine. All right. Um, so let's get to the poll results. Are you buying Malcolm Etheridge's fast pitch on Prologis? Our trader said yes. So you out there, of course, said no. 60% of you out there not mm. buying like clockwork. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Uh, by the way, Mel, Mets doubleheader. Diaz closing up the cards in the first one in the ninth. <laughs> Citibank. Citibank. Yeah. Steve. So far, I'm looking for a further bounce in this one. Way, way, way oversold. Guy Dami. Devin Energy. Karen Feinerman, what do you say? Well, I got to say that I'm going home with the girl that brought me, or the boy that brought me, Target. So really be looking forward to hopefully good earnings tomorrow morning for that one. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.